reading is oh, sorry. the reading is Exodus 13, verse 17 to 22, crossing the sea. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said, if they faced war, they would change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around the desert roads towards the Red Sea. The Israelites went out of Egypt ready for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the Israelites swear on oath. He had said, God will surely come to you your aid and you must carry my bones up with you from this place. After leaving Sukkoth, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way. In the night, there was a, a pillar of fire to be given them light so they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night left its place in the front of the people. Amen. Thank you, Jenny. And now our second reading. The second reading is John chapter 10, reading verses 1 to 16, the good shepherd and his sheep. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognise a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Thank you. Thank you. Dawned on me that the song before the sermon is not the best time to be doing some last minute prep, but there we go. (laughs) 
In our Old Testament reading, we had about God guiding the people of Israel using a cloud of pillar. Not even a cloud of pillar, a pillar of cloud even. <laughs> you like how I said that dramatically as well, eh? It's built up to it. Used a cloud of pillar. No, no, pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. When I was looking around slightly earlier before that reading in uh, Exodus chapter 12, it talks about that there were 600,000 men who left Egypt, um, which means once you start counting all the other people, the women and the children, you're looking at nearly 2 million people coming out of Egypt. That's, that's quite a big group. That's even bigger than the average attendance at Tynecastle for watching Harps. Or even probably the total attendance across the season. <laughs> so there's 2 million people following this pillar of cloud out of Egypt. This is straight after the ten plagues. This is after all of Egypt's firstborn have died. So it's not just a casual Saturday afternoon stroll. It's not a trotter's walk from Egypt to who knows where. Um, and as we all know, trotter's walks are never to who knows where. Trotter's walks are well planned. It's a tea shop. <laughs> this is two million people fleeing for their lives. But moving to somewhere new, moving on to something new, winning their freedom, following God. God is leading them out of Egypt. Where does he lead them? Straight into the desert. Two million people in the desert. And actually, it wasn't straight into the desert. It was kind of all over the place into the desert. The straight route would have been the easy one. It's like a dodgy sat-nav. Or, or like we, we used to have a sat-nav um, that we... I don't know whether it gave up on us or we gave up on it, because you put, you put the destination in, and it would say... Uh, quite often use it so that you've got an idea of when you're going to arrive, even when you know where you're going. It's quite handy to know when you're going to arrive, especially if you're meeting people. You can say, sat-nav says we'll be there in 20 minutes or whatever. The classic was if we were going up to Edinburgh, and it would always want us to go all the way up the M6 to Glasgow and then across on the M8 to Edinburgh. Now, as a good Edinburgh lad, I have a natural aversion to Glasgow. So, sorry. <laughs> so I always cut the corner, because it's shorter. So this poor sat-nav is always telling us, you want to go that way and that way. And I'm going, no, I'm not going that way. I'm going this way. This is kind of almost the opposite. This is like the people of Israel going, well, there's the obvious route. Why is God going that way? But they followed them, and they didn't complain once, and everything was fine, and it was all marvelous. Yeah, right. They followed them. The next thing they know, they're between the sea on one side and the Red Sea in front of them, and they've got the Egyptians coming behind, and they start to panic until God intervenes and opens the Red Sea so they can go through. 
and then they wander around in the desert a bit more, and then they realize there's nothing to eat, and then they start to complain, and they go, this is rubbish, this, why are we following God? God's brought us into the desert, we'd be better off in Egypt where we were slaves. And God provides food. God provided food for the people of Israel for 40 years in the desert until they got to Canaan. See, the thing is, they had this massive pillar of cloud by day and a massive pillar of fire at night. You couldn't miss it. It's like the fire on Rivington Pike. You can't miss it. You can see it for miles. We were out in town yesterday. We parked at Golden Square, and, and you can sort of see the, still see a bit of smoke coming over from Saddleworth. But then there was this massive plume of smoke coming from Winter Hill, and you go, that, that doesn't look good. Even when they could see God's presence right there guiding them, they still complained and doubted and moaned and said, this can't be right. This can't be the best thing God wants for us. We're going back to Egypt. And actually, God promised to be with them. He set up his, his covenant with them, his agreement with them through the Ten Commandments, and then to show them that he was with them, he gave them the rules for setting up the tabernacle, which represented the very presence of God right in the middle of their encampment. So no matter where they were, because it went with them, they always knew that God was right with them, right in the middle. Presence of God right in the midst of his people. Fast forward 1,300 years or so, and God is now physically in the midst of his people. Jesus is in Israel. And in our second reading, Jesus is talking about how he's the good shepherd. And he talks about how he goes in and he calls out his sheep and his sheep know his voice. And they come with him. Which was the point of the game before. That Ethan knew my voice and knew to follow me, not the other voices. He probably would have if I told him to, though. It's nothing, no reflection on you guys. But he knew which was his dad's voice and therefore which one to follow. Just as well, really. That could have been a total disaster. <laughs> it's important to know God's voice so that we know when he's calling us or when he's guiding us. God doesn't speak to us the same way I speak to Ethan. We can't listen and say, oh yeah, that sounds like, that sounds like God, yeah. So how do we know it's God's voice? Well, we can read the Bible. We can read the things that God has written or God has written through people for us. We can pray. And we might not physically hear God, but we, we know when we pray, we know when we've heard God. But actually, sometimes the first time that happens, you might not. And that's when sometimes you have to go and be guided by other people who would know. It's a bit like the story of Samuel in the Old Testament when he was little and he was lying sleeping and God called out to him. 
And he thought it was Eli. So he got up and he went running through and he said, Eli, you shouted me. And Eli said, no, it wasn't me. Go and lie down. And it was only the third time when God had called Samuel the third time and Samuel jumped up and ran through to Eli again. And he went, you did, you did, you shouted me, I heard you. The way kids do, you know, they come running into your bedroom at whatever time in the morning it is, or night, and go, it's time to get up. Sorry. <laughs> and at that point, Eli was able to kind of think and go, if this isn't me, it must be God. So sometimes when we're reading the Bible or we're praying and we might think that it's God speaking to us, we might never have heard from God before, like Samuel. We can speak to other people and say, I've been praying and I keep getting this, this thought that comes to me or I keep getting this picture that comes to me or I keep getting drawn to this same passage every time or whatever it is. And someone else might say, well, that's, I think God's trying to tell you something. And as time goes on, the more we spend time praying and reading the Bible, we start to recognize it ourselves. And then before we know it, we're the ones that are telling other people that, do you know what, I think that might be God that's telling you that. The thing is, the devil is out there too. The father of lies. So when Jesus was tempted in the desert the devil used scripture to try and trick him into doing things and Jesus knew that although that sounded like God it was God's words it wasn't consistent with what God's like so he was listening not just to the words but to the voice in our game before if I'd been a bit prepared with a script or whatever, we could have all said the same thing to Ethan. Ethan, sit down. Ethan, sit down. Ethan, sit down. And if it had worked, he'd have only sat down when I said it because it wasn't just the words that were important. It was who was saying it. Because the devil took scripture out of context to try and trick Jesus. And Jesus knew it well enough to say, that's not, that's not what God would tell me to do. Which sort of brings us to lighthouses. I have some issues with my lighthouse as a song because I'm a terrible pedant. You can't follow a lighthouse because a lighthouse doesn't move. I get really, I've calmed down. I used to get really grumpy when we sang it. Rachel used to get really annoyed with me. I'd stand at the back with my arms folded. Can't follow a lighthouse, a lighthouse doesn't move. Lighthouses don't guide you to the shore, they warn you of rocks. If you go sailing up to a lighthouse, you'll crash. And they do. They do. They stay where they are, and they flash. Well, being a pedant, there's a lens that goes around the, the lamp that projects the light out in a... Anyway. <laughs> they warn of danger. They warn us to keep away from rocks and reefs. And God does that too. God warns us of danger. God tells us to stay away from things. God told Adam and Eve to stay away from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And they didn't listen. 
But when I was a kid, we used to, we used to quite like going, sometimes we'd, well, say sometimes, every week we went to my granny's, um, regardless. Um, but especially in the winter, we'd drive, if we were driving along the coast road, you'd see all the lighthouses flashing. And they all have slightly different patterns of long and short flashes. And sailors know which pattern matches which lighthouse. So they know when they see a light on the horizon flashing in a certain pattern, they can use that to help them work out where they are. So they can follow the pattern of flashes to follow a, a route. And some lighthouses don't warn of rocks or reefs. They show you the entrance to an estuary or a harbour. Sometimes you'll see on, on bridges or on, on channels, sometimes you'll see it on the ship canal, a red light and a green light, red light on the, the port or the left side and green light on the starboard or right side. And sometimes you get two lighthouses that are lined up so that as you're coming up, as you're coming up an estuary, when, when you're in the right line, there'll, there'll be one behind the other and you can follow that line right up the estuary so you know where you're going. So you can follow lighthouses, actually, even although they don't move. But only if you know them. Only if you know what you're looking for, and only if you know how to understand what, to me, was just pretty patterns of flashing lights when I was little. And then you get the stories Sadly, I think they probably are mainly stories rather than factually accurate, but you get the stories anyway of Cornish wreckers. Jamaica Inn. Not quite Paul Dark, but Jamaica Inn. False lights lit on cliffs to confuse ships or to, to lure ships onto rocks. Apparently it doesn't work very well because sailors are trained that if they don't recognize a light, they should ignore it. But then the other thing they sometimes did was to attack the lighthouse and smash the light so that the light didn't shine and sailors would end up on the rock. So if you can rely on experience of yourself or of others, you can start to look and you can say, well, I know where I am because I, I know that light and I know that light. I don't know that one. Looks like it should be right, but there's something not quite right about it. And my first mate says, I've been back and forward up this coast for years and I've never seen that light before. Right, okay, well, we're ignoring that. Churches are full of people who've been back and forward with God for years who will tell you, I've never seen that light before. That one I know, that one you follow. That one you follow all the way and it takes you up to the harbour. That one, that's a trick. I was chatting to Vanda about what I was going to talk about before and she said, oh, that's a bit like bank tellers. Oh, bank tellers. I didn't know this, but apparently bank tellers aren't trained to spot forgeries. They're trained what real banknotes look like. So that when they're going through, they can go, that's real, that's real, that's real, that's real, that doesn't look real. That's real, that's real. 
if they tried to teach them what every forgery looked like, they'd never keep up. So they train them to know what a real note looks like, and anything that looks iffy, they can put to one side. Now, it might be that on closer inspection, it's just got a bit crinkled or whatever. Maybe not so much the new ones. Although our kids have managed to rip a new fiver in half. I don't know how. They must have been fighting over it. Brilliant, Mark. Yes. If something doesn't feel right, chances are it's not right. So, in our own personal walk with God, we don't need to worry about, we know that the devil's out there and we know that he's trying to trick us, but we don't need to worry all the time about, is that a trick, is that a trick, is that a trick, if we know what's real. That's God, that's God, that's God. That I'm not so sure about. I'm going to ask someone else. No, it's not, right. That's God, that's God, that's God, that's God. We've talked earlier this morning about next week when we've got someone coming to preach with a view, Jenny Travis. And it's great that we're going to have some nice biscuits. Now that's Biscuits that are nice, not nice biscuits. Yeah? Because nice biscuits, they're, they're all right. You know, when you've, when you've got to the end of the biscuit barrel and there's nothing but nice biscuits left and it's half past 11 at night and you're on a biscuit raid. But they're not, they're not first choice. So they're always the ones at the back of the tin, aren't they? Nice biscuits. I don't know why. Anyway, biscuits are important, but... What's especially important next week is that we as a church are listening. Listening to Jenny, but listening to God, not being distracted. Hello. Pardon? Alice is in junior church, dude. I'm in a privileged position, if you like, because I've met Jenny already and spoken to her and heard from her. Um, and I don't want to say anything to sort of say yes, no, whatever, because that's not fair. And it struck me that it seems a little bit odd, because one of the things we've sort of said all along is, as a church, apart from today, we've got quite gifted speakers, and we're not too worried about having someone who will come and lead us every week in worship. But the way we're going to select them is by hearing them lead us in worship. There are other opportunities next weekend to, to meet Jenny as well. Um, the Q&A at Lim at half past two would be a good chance to go and, and, and ask her anything you like. Trivial, searching, any question. And other people will be there too and we can hear her answers. But it's important that we're listening to God. <clears throat> She's the first candidate we've had since we had our, our vacancy. And even the first candidate we've had since Andrew and Sally left. There's a big difference between when they left. Anyway. <laughs> she might well be the right candidate for us. 
she might not. Don't feel like we've got to call her just because she's the first person. Don't feel like we've got to reject her just because she's the first person. There's four churches who've all got to call her and we've all got to listen to God. All the way through, Gwynver has been saying, trust the process, trust the process. So I am trusting the process and I'm encouraging you to trust the process. But this week, I know you'll all have been praying anyway, but this week especially, pray for Jenny. Pray that what Jenny says next weekend gives everyone the, the right impression of her. And then pray for us. And pray for our, our sister churches, Elmwood, Lim, St. John's, that they're all listening to God too. I'm sure they are. I'm not saying, you know, if we don't pray, they won't listen. We've all, got to, we've all got to issue a call. We've all got to be sure. So we've all got to be listening. And that goes for everything, doesn't it? You know, we all make decisions all through life. We get up in the morning, we get dressed. I'm not saying that you should lie in bed and pray about what you're going to wear until you get a distinct word from God as to what you're going to wear. Because I did hear a story about... It's one of these, it's probably a minister's urban myth that a minister told me once about, you know, there was this person who felt that they shouldn't do anything until they felt God really called them to do it. And basically they spent three weeks in bed until someone came around and said, do you not think maybe you could make some decisions for yourself? But we all face decisions. Should I? And it, it's not... Sometimes it's, should I, should I change direction? I mean, I, I'm quite happy with the direction I'm going in, but should I change direction? I talked about Satnav before. My dad talks about his dad, my granddad, who started driving quite late in life and was an absolute pain on the motorway because at every junction, you had to tell him to stay on the motorway or he would turn off. You couldn't say, you know, if we were going from, say, here to Carlisle, you couldn't say... Right, get on the M6. Now stay on the M6 until I tell you to get off because you would be getting off at the next junction because you didn't tell them to stay on. Sometimes God tells us, stay on until it's time, and I'll tell you when to get off. And you'll get that sense of God's telling me to do something different and I want to pray about it and I want to hear him. And sometimes you might feel like at every junction you're saying to God, should I get off here? And God might want you to keep asking because he might be helping you to learn to hear his voice. So, listen, learn God's voice. If you're not sure, ask someone. Read the Bible, pray. Learn which lighthouse is which and which ones are real and which ones then, when you know which ones are real, you can know which ones don't look so good. I was going to show you a clip, but arriving at half past ten, I felt it was probably not a great idea to go, oh, and I've got a clip. You may have seen it. It's the, the story, apparently a true story, about a U.S. destroyer in radio contact with another party, saying, you need to change your course 15 degrees to avoid collision. 
And the radio message comes back saying, no, 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 you change your course 15 degrees to avoid collision. No, 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 we're the USS such and such, you change your course by 15 degrees to avoid collision. No, you change your course 15 degrees or there will be a collision. And I've, I've heard the, the radio recording of the actual thing. And it, the captain of this ship comes on. I am the captain of the US such and such. They bleeped out the name of the captain and the name of the ship. They were obviously being kind to him. This is the largest, second largest ship in the US fleet. I'm accompanied by four destroyers, six frigates, support vessels. I'm on a UN mission to Iraq. There will be severe consequences if you do not change your course by 15 degrees to avoid collision. And the message comes back and it says, my name is such and such. I'm here with my friend. We are accompanied by our food, a dog, and a canary which is currently having a nap. And we're in a lighthouse. You change your course by 15 degrees to avoid collision. Message received. <laughs> Learn to know the lighthouses. Then you can spot the fakes. And sometimes if the lighthouse is telling you to move, it's probably best not to argue. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you that we can know you. That we can know your voice. And we can follow you with confidence. Because we know your voice. Father God, thank you that you created the entire universe. And you love each one of us so much that each one of us can know your voice. Help us, Lord, to hear that voice. Help us to help each other to hear that voice. And Lord, help us to be brave enough to follow that voice even when the direction seems odd or the route seems hard in Jesus name Amen <laughs>